Chapter Twelve of Wit and Wisdom of Chesterton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Box. Wit and Wisdom of Chesterton by Gilbert Chesterton. Chapter Twelve A Tragedy of Tuppence my relations with the readers of this page have been long and pleasant but perhaps for that very reason i feel that the time has come when i ought to confess the one great crime of my life it happened a long time ago but it is not uncommon for a belated burst of remorse to reveal such dark episodes long after they have occurred it has nothing to do with the orgies of the anti-puritan league that body is so offensively respectable that a newspaper, in describing it the other day, referred to my friend Mr. Edgar Jepson as Canon Edgar Jepson, and it is believed that similar titles are intended for all of us. No, it is not by the conduct of Archbishop Crane, of Dean Chesterton, of the Rev. James Douglas, of Monsignor Bland, and even of that fine and virile old ecclesiastic cardinal nesbitt that i wish or rather am driven by my conscience to make this declaration the crime was committed in solitude and without accomplices alone i did it let me with the characteristic thirst of penitence to get the worst of the confession over state it first of all in its most dreadful and indefensible form there is at the present moment in a town in germany unless he has died of rage on discovering his wrong a restaurant-keeper to whom i still owe twopence i last left his open-air restaurant knowing that i owed him twopence i carried it away under his nose despite the fact that the nose was a decidedly jewish one i have never paid him and it is highly improbable that i ever shall how did this villainy come to occur in a life which has been generally speaking deficient in the dexterity necessary for fraud the story is as follows and it has a moral though there may not be room for that it is a fair general rule for those travelling on the continent that the easiest way of talking in a foreign language is to talk philosophy the most difficult kind of talking is to talk about common necessities the reason is obvious the names of common necessities vary completely with each nation and are generally somewhat odd and quaint how for instance could a frenchman suppose that a coal-box would be called a scuttle if he has never seen the word scuttle it has been in the jingo press where the policy of scuttle is used whenever we give up something to a small power like liberals instead of giving up everything to a great power like imperialists what englishman in germany would be poet enough to guess that the germans call a glove a hand-shoe nations name their necessities by nicknames so to speak they call their tubs and stools by quaint elvish and almost affectionate names as if they were their own children but any one can argue about abstract things in a foreign language who has ever got as far as exercise four in a primer 
for as soon as he can put a sentence together at all he finds that the words used in abstract or philosophical discussions are almost the same in all nations they are the same for the simple reason that they all come from the things that were the roots of our common civilization from christianity from the roman empire from the medieval church or the french revolution nation citizen religion philosophy authority the republic words like these are nearly the same in all the countries in which we travel restrain therefore your exuberant admiration for the young man who can argue with six french atheists when he first lands at dieppe even i can do that but very likely the same young man does not know the french for a shoehorn but to this generalization there are three great exceptions one in the case of countries that are not european at all and have never had our civic conceptions or the old latin scholarship i do not pretend that the patagonian phrase for citizenship at once leaps to the mind or that a dyak's word for the republic has been familiar to me from the nursery two in the case of germany where although the principle does apply to many words such as nation and philosophy it does not apply so generally because germany has had a special and deliberate policy of encouraging the purely german part of its language three in the case where one does not know any of the language at all as is generally the case with me such at least was my situation on the dark day on which i committed my crime two of the exceptional conditions which i have mentioned were combined i was walking about a german town and i knew no german i knew however two or three of those great and solemn words which hold our european civilization together one of which is cigar as it was a hot and dreamy day i sat down at a table in a sort of beer garden and ordered a cigar and a pot of lager i drank the lager and paid for it i smoked the cigar forgot to pay for it and walked away gazing rapturously at the royal outline of the taunus mountains after about ten minutes i suddenly remembered that i had not paid for the cigar i went back to the place of refreshment and put down the money but the proprietor also had forgotten the cigar and he merely said guttural things in a tone of query asking me i suppose what i wanted i said cigar and he gave me a cigar i endeavoured while putting down the money to wave away the cigar with gestures of refusal he thought that my rejection was of the nature of a condemnation of that particular cigar and brought me another i whirled my arms like a windmill seeking to convey by the sweeping universality of my gesture that my rejection was a rejection of cigars in general not of that particular article he mistook this for the ordinary impatience of common men and rushed forward his hands filled with miscellaneous cigars pressing them upon me in desperation i tried other kinds of pantomime but the more cigars i refused the more and more rare and precious cigars were brought out of the deeps and recesses of the establishment 
i tried in vain to think of a way of conveying to him the fact that i already had the cigar i imitated the action of a citizen smoking knocking off and throwing away a cigar the watchful proprietor only thought i was rehearsing as in an ecstasy of anticipation the joys of the cigar he was going to give me at last i retired baffled he would not take the money and leave the cigars alone so that this restaurant-keeper in whose face a love of money shone like the sun at noonday flatly and firmly refused to receive the tuppence that i certainly owed him and i took that tuppence of his away with me and rioted on it for months i hope that on the last day the angels will break the truth very gently to that unhappy man this is the true and exact account of the great cigar fraud and the moral of it is this that civilization is founded upon abstractions the idea of debt is one which cannot be conveyed by physical motions at all because it is an abstract idea and civilization obviously would be nothing without debt so when hard-headed fellows who study scientific sociology that does not exist come and tell you that civilization is material or indifferent to the abstract just ask yourselves how many of the things that make up our society the law or the stocks and shares or the national debt you would be able to convey with your face and your ten fingers by grinning and gesticulating to a german innkeeper end of a tragedy of tuppence recording by carol box in surrey england end of wit and wisdom of chesterton by gilbert chesterton